Hello and welcome to Plot Trist. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're talking about When He Was Wicked by Julia Quinn. So this was published in 2004 and is number six in the Bridgerton series. So as we've talked about in our previous two episodes of the Bridgertons, books four, five, and six happen concurrently. Yeah. At least for the most part. This book does take place over several years. It, uh, it but does, the but the main the action. Yes. A love story. Yes. So I, I really, really like reading... I really, really like reading these in order because I feel like they do add to each other. They do. So highly recommended to, if you want to read them in order. And these are definitely the strength of the Bridgerton series. That said, I think Meg end up like, ends up liking this one more than I do. I don't dislike it, though. So yeah. let's, let's get into the summary. In every life, there is a turning point. A moment so tremendous, so sharp and breathtaking, that one knows one's life will never be the same. For Michael Sterling, London's most infamous rake, that moment came the first time he laid eyes on Francesca Bridgerton. After a lifetime of chasing women, of smiling slyly as they chased him, of allowing himself to be caught but never permitting his heart to become engaged, he took one look at Francesca Bridgerton and fell so fast and hard into love, it was a wonder he managed to remain standing. Unfortunately for Michael, however, Francesca's surname was to remain Bridgerton for only a mere 36 hours longer. The occasion of their meeting was, lamentably, a supper celebrating her imminent wedding to his cousin. But that was then. Now, Michael is the Earl and Francesca is free. But still, she thinks of him as nothing other than her dear friend and confidant. Michael dares not speak to her of his love until one dangerous night when she steps innocently into his arms and passion proves stronger than even the most wicked of secrets. Good summary. It's a good summary. Very good summary. Good summary. Thumbs up to whoever wrote this one. Good one. I got nothing to add. Nothing to add. So now I'm going to try to. This week, our randomly generated summary number was 40. So my 40-word summary. Marriages of companionship and marriages of passion are distinctly different, even if they're both love. What do they have in common? Well, the, hu the husband's DNA and a desperate desire for a baby and a lot of angst. Desk sex is redemptive. I mean, yeah. <laughs> take a bow, take a bow. <laughs> All right, here's mine. If there's ever a time to hide your feelings for a woman, it's when she's your closest friend slash cousin's wife, closely followed by being his widow. When's the right time to reveal them? Colin Bridgerton will be sure to tell you. Meg loves Colin. I love Colin. There might be more about this in my notes later. Um, <laughs> okay. Lots tropes. of tropes. So friends to lovers. And obviously, Michael must hide his feelings. And then later, Francesca feels like she has to hide hers, too. Yeah. So there is, uh, an, there is an element of forbidden love. Right. And Bridgerton's a big, crazy family. Yes. And that his family is also kind of big and crazy. Well, I think the whole drama is his family's really small, but still kind of crazy. But still kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots of tragedy, but especially in the trope is the tragic miscarriage. And it's early in the book, so this isn't a big spoiler. Mm -hmm. um, she's the sibling who isn't quite like all the others. Yeah. I, I liked it. I liked it. A lot of times that can be an annoying trope, but I think because all of the other siblings get fleshed out in the Bridgerton series, it works. Yes. So it's good. 
And then the one, I've never seen you in this light before. There's a real moment where Francesca first changes how she feels about Michael. Uh-huh. Like, it's literally like a switch has been flipped in her brain. Yeah. Where she goes from viewing him as her husband's closest kin to like, oh, I didn't realize Michael was hot. I mean, yep. objectively I did, but subjectively, oh God, Michael's hot. And it's... Yep. It's she, good. She has that moment. And then, of course, the reluctant... AR, the reluctant peer, the and one who this one gets the makes title. sense because so Michael's sense. best friend was the Earl. His cousin was the Earl, and he expected his cousin and Francesca to have kids. Mm-hmm. And he's not a reluctant peer because he's like fuck the peerage. He's a reluctant peer because his best friend had to die for him to get it. Yes. So uh, what? So, I think this yeah. is also true. What do, does a reluctant man going through personal tragedy, desperately lefting for, for the woman he can't have, do? What does he do? Runs to India. <laughs> this is such a trope. That's true. He got, he leaves for India. He's just like, get me out of here. I can't be here. I can't be what she wants me to be right now. And what she wants him to be is the steadfast one she can rely on, the new Earl, the man in charge. And he bails. Mm-hmm. And she ends up running the estate rather successfully. Mm-hmm. But he still hides in India for like a while. Yeah. And when he comes back... He finds that Francesca has decided that while she will always love her deceased spouse, she just like really wants a baby. Yeah. But let's get into let's let's talk about this book. So this book uh, is fine. actually divided into two parts, part number 1 and part number 2. Part number 1 is pretty short and it is tragic. It is so sad. I Every single time I read this book, I cry actual tears. Like, I have actual tears rolling down my face. Yeah, so this book does not, like, start in media res. Nope. And the book starts with her happily married to her devoted husband going for a walk with Michael because her husband wants to take a lie down before he goes to Parliament. And when she gets back home, her husband is dead. And then they all grieve. And then... In the text. They all grieve in the text. And then not only that, Francesca finds that she's pregnant. And, you know, it's it's leavening the grief a little bit because she thinks, well, if I had to lose my husband, at least I have this piece of him with me. But while it's leavening the grief, it's also complicating the situation. Because if she's pregnant with a boy, then Michael's not the heir. And it's sort of putting the status of the, the, the earldom in abeyance. Right. While this all gets sorted. Right. But... Then she has a miscarriage. And it's bloody and immediate, and they call for Michael, and he reacts very poorly. It's it's so sad. It's really tragic. Yeah, I don't know. Did you cry, Lane? No. <laughs> Lane has no soul. <laughs> I have a soul. I can't believe you didn't cry. <laughs> it's, it was all very abrupt. I'm not going to lie to you. Like... I, I, every time I read this book, I cry. I was too shocked to cry. Like, I was not expecting how much articulated tragedy uh was coming punch after punch after punch. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. I couldn't even emotionally react Mm -hmm. because I was so stunned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does, it doesn't stop. Part one is, is literally a sea of tears. And of course... What's nice, I can't even call this a trope because it's so seldom, her first marriage was very happy. Yes. But they were too... I mean, they were peers. It's not like they were, you know, friends since they were children. But it ended up being a real marriage of companionship. Right. But but she, I really appreciate mm-hmm. about this book is that 
they were, she was in love with her first husband. She was happy in bed with her first husband. There was nothing wrong with their relationship. She doesn't think later, oh, if only he had acted like this or, or anything mm. like that, um, which I just think is so great. But she does appreciate what having sex with a legendary lover can mean. I mean, who wouldn't? And I'm going to be real with you. That's what saved the book for me. <laughs> we'll get there because, I mean, we'll Hold talk on this. to your seats. Yeah. So, so basically, yeah, it's, it's very sad. So Michael ends part one by fleeing to India, as we discussed. He's just like, I can't handle all this tragedy while I'm lusting after this grieving widow mm -hmm. who is my best friend's widow, and I just gotta go. He's basically like, I, I will not be able to act in any manner approaching appropriate. I'm out of here. Yep. Which, you know, better than forcing yourself on her. Yeah, which he wasn't about to do. Right, but, but forcing attention. Forcing or, attention, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, so he bails, and then he decides to come back. Eventually, it's like... Four years have passed. I should, yeah, I should go back. Meanwhile, Francesca, who has been living in her widow's weeds, running the estate, Michael and Francesca, even though they were independently very, very close have not been speaking for these four years. She's really hurt by the way he ran off and the way he wasn't there for her during her miscarriage. And he wrote her two letters, she never responded, and he was like, I can take a hint. So he comes back surprising her. Mm -hmm. He comes back to town thinking he's got a couple of days before he goes up to the Scottish Highlands to see her. Unbeknownst to him, she's come down early because she's decided she's re-entering the town this season yeah. because she's husband hunting because yeah. she wants a baby. Yes. And on their first time alone, she opens up to him about this, and he's like, Jesus, she could have married anybody while I was away. But I came back right when she's husband has decided husband. I want to get married, so I'm going to have to watch her get courted. And he's, this is my hell. It's yeah. sort of his internal my love. Basically, he's yeah. like, I can't. How did I walk back to this? I'm sorry, how refreshing is it to have the guy be the one pining for love? Oh, so good. Because I love it so much. But so, obviously, um, they're back in London, and this is while Colin is courting and falling in love with Penelope. So, apparently, in book four, every time Colin ran off to his club... He was meeting with Michael, he apparently. He was running into Michael. And, um, you know... It's, it's, it's really nice because he, see, here's the thing. Michael doesn't have a Violet Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. Francesca has Violet, her mother, who she can go to and talk. I mean, mm -hmm. Violet is a widow. Mm -hmm. So Francesca can talk to her about why didn't you get remarried? You know, how did you feel about this? How did you feel about that? And those scenes, in mo many of these books, the scenes with Violet Bridgerton are, are a highlight. Mm -hmm. And they are a major highlight in this book, in my mm -hmm. opinion. So they're really great. But Michael doesn't have that. He doesn't have a mother or father um, who he can go to about this. He has a mother. Right. He has a mother and he, he has um, an aunt, he's an very aunt close to. who's very close to. But he cannot go to them and talk to them about pining for love for Francesca. Right, because... He cannot do that. It was his cousin's wife. Right. That He can't do it. So, and he can't do that to Colin either, because Colin is Francesca's sister, but Colin is more perspicacious than he seems. Yes. And Michael and Colin are superficially similar. Yeah, Michael compares himself with Colin a lot throughout the book. He's like, oh, I'm just like Colin. I'm the happy-go-lucky rake. Um, I don't really see it. But I also kind of love it because, you know, I love Colin. So if you're going to compare yourself to Colin Bridgerton, I'm not going to hate that. 
I didn't read it as they were actually similar. Mm -hmm. I read it more as because Michael is Angstown USA. He's so angsty. <laughs> because he's in love with Francesca. Collins, the social model he uses. Yes. To be the affable rake. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he fair. does need to slake his lust with women all over town so he doesn't jump Francesca or whatever. But he wants to do it in a way that leaves him acceptable to society, especially because he's the heir to an earldom he's never going to inherit. That's mm -hmm. because his cousin is married yeah. to a Bridgerton. They procreate like rabbits. He's expecting to never inherit. So his entry into society is paid by his reputation. Mm hmm and so I think it was less of a Colin and I are so similar than a People Colin. think Colin and Colin I are Colin is the model I need to use sure. to buy my way into society, especially given all of my internal strife. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, and of course this is Meg, but for me the Colin scenes are also a highlight of this book. Be <laughs> oh my God, Lane. Lane is just making fun of me about how much I love Colin. <sighs> anyway... So, but, but they're, they're really well done, I feel like, because they are authentically men talking to each other about their feelings. Especially in the stilted way that one would have to imagine occurs when someone's sister is involved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but it's also, so you also, it's much better if you have read the other books. Yes. Because Colin refers to things that happen in the other books as well. I would not read this one alone. Mm -mm. And I mean, most Bridgertons, I'd say that, but I say that very Especially emphatically here. Yeah. And also, can we count how many couples that Colin has been the mastermind behind? Talk more about Colin, Meg. Go ahead. <laughs> Look, he is the one who got Daphne and Simon together, which, I mean, good for you, but whatever. He, he's also the one who suggested the Pall Mall game for Anthony and Kate. He's also the one who got stupid Benedict and Sophie together because Benedict was being a douche, as I guess that's what you do when you're a douche. You'd be a douche. So anyway, he's being a douche, and he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. And Colin was like, you love her, so go propose to her. And Benedict was like, you're right. I should go do that. So th thanks. I think we can't really count Eloise. No, she does it all on her own behind her family's back. And I don't know if we can count Penelope because I, she did that. She did that on I her own. I think you might be able to count Eloise in that he kept her husband alive for the altar. That's true, because the other brothers would have killed him. Yeah. Um, but he definitely is the reason why Francesca is with Michael. Yes. Because Michael was not about to go and do anything with Francesca until Colin was like, don't be a dumb-dumb. He's, he's, this is Colin's role. Colin's role is don't be stupid. Go when you're in love. Go use your words and talk to the women that you're in love with. Like that is what Colin says. Especially because ultimately the big stigma surrounding him and Francesca getting together is their own perception. Yes. That their family. I mean, especially back then, I feel like. <laughs> Not your own family, but people married the spouse of their widow or widow yeah. pretty frequently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just I just read. Yes. Yes. So I feel like it's more the fact that they feel like they should feel like family and don't. Yeah. Than any, like, actual problem. Yeah. And I think maybe Colin is like, look, no one, no one other than you and Francesca think that there's a problem here. So maybe you should go talk to her about it. Yep. So all I'm saying is in my head, my fan fiction is that Colin is out there forming couples all over town that we never read about. Mm-hmm. I think he's just 
out there saying, he's the guy going out there and saying, you should be open and honest about your feelings. And I do, I will say this, for all that I hated how angsty this was, and I did hate it, and not because it was badly done, it was super well done. It was so well done, I was depressed. Yes. There's a moment where she says to him, right before he flees to India, I lost this baby, or right after he gets back, I lost this baby and you effectively would have been its father. Because my husband's dead and you would have been the Earl and mm -hmm. you would have... And he, like, loses his mind. Yeah. But it makes sense. Yes. Like, the woman he's in love with is trying to tell him that they were going to raise a kid together when he can't have her. And mm -hmm. it was an emotional, destructive thought. Emotionally yes. destructive thought. And I just... I really bought all the pain that even the most basic conversations inevitably brought about between the two of them. Yeah. I just probably won't read this again because it was so sad. No, I mean, honestly... I think this is one of the best of the Bridgerton series, and I cannot read it very often because it is so emotionally crippling. Like, you believe both of their perspectives so completely. They're both mourning. They both don't know what they are to each other now. Add this component of lust that they both feel is inappropriate and an insult to her husband's memory. And it's just, none of it feels like fake angst. No. It feels so true to their characters and so true to someone who's mourning. That it's hard to read. It's, it's very, very difficult to read. So did you find anything offensive about this book? Honestly, no. And, and if we're going to look at what we have talked about in Julia Quinn, it's, so there is um, a scene where Francesca is sexually assaulted. Yes. By a suitor. Yes. If we think back on how this was handled in The Duke and I, I mean, I w basically went on a rant about it mm -hmm. and thought it was awful. And here it was really well handled. So Michael comes out, stops the assault. Quick pause. It's pause. really well handled. It's a very low bar. Yeah, I mean, yeah, let's be, let's be fair. There's a very low bar. So Michael comes out and stops the assault, which, that again, every time someone stops the assault, I want to make sure you understand that that is what you should do. You, Bare minimum. You should stop a sexual assault in process. You should call it out. You should say, hey, don't do that. You should punch the guy, which is what Michael does here. You should ask the woman if she is okay. Right? Things like that. Bare minimum. So Michael breaks it up. Francesca apologizes at, because, and says, I was leading him on. I shouldn't have come out here alone with him. shouldn't have come out here alone with him. And what does Michael say? Not your fault. He said, no matter what you said or how you acted, he never should have done that. But again, low bar. It's a very low bar. But, but shockingly hard to meet. Shockingly hard to meet in these novels. Yep. Even from the same author in so, the same series. So trigger warning, but... We already talked about it, uh, miscarriage. I was going to say, that's more of a trigger warning than yeah, actual offensiveness. Yeah, infertility. And FYI, guys, her husband dies. I don't know if you got that from what we talked about in the first part of the book, but her husband dies. And if you don't cry, you don't have a soul. I'm, I'm soulless. Um, yeah. There is a little bit of post-her miscarriage infertility stuff. It's more in the epilogues. It is, yeah. Than in the novel, but just like an FYI, if that's a trigger warning for you. If that's a trigger warning for you. I don't think it's poorly handled, necessarily. Other than the fact that, spoiler alert, she's not infertile. <laughs> yeah. But in the novel itself, I think it's actually very well handled. Yeah, it's not badly done. More, Like I said, more trigger warning than offensiveness. Yes. Uh, sexiness. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Guys. I did not like this book. 
in that it's so angsty it's really hard to like get invested in any rooting for them because you're just so damn sad all the time and yet I, this might have been a three star book for me if not for the fact that this book is so cripplingly hot that I forgot that it shouldn't be cripplingly hot. This book is so sexy. This is without a doubt the sexiest of any of the Bridgerton books. I, I did go, not know Julia Quinn had it in her. I may go so far as to say that this is the sexiest book Julia Quinn has ever written. It, it is so sexy. And not only is it sexy, it is so consent focused. Which, especially in the same series as The Duke and I. Mm -hmm. What? Yes. Yeah, no, I know. I know. But it's so consent focused. He actually thinks about her consent. Basically, he thinks to himself, I know she wants to have sex. I know she won't say no to me, but I want her to say yes to me. And it's it's always important, but it's even more important in this context because they're both so emotionally conflicted about what being together means given their shared history. Mm -hmm. And her ex-husband, or dead husband, being his cousin, that they're reluctant for reasons that have nothing to do with one another. Yes. And so the fact that he's so... Like... He's so demanding that he gets her consent before they do anything. Makes mm -hmm. it that much better when they do. Yes, it's it's really good. And she does. She doesn't always say yes. There because are of times, all this emotional turmoil. There are times that she says no. And what does he do? He doesn't try to convince her. He doesn't try to have a conversation about why she's saying no. He just backs off. One, he leaves the room immediately. Yep. The other time. I actually think he does the same thing, leaves the room. He's like, okay, if this is what you want, then I am not, I'm not going to do anything with you, which is, again, that's what you should do. And usually I think I would also be screaming about, oh my God, just talk to each other. But they're not, like, it's, but there's not an absence of communication in this book. They are talking to it's each other. It's that it's hard. Yes. And so sometimes they need distance, physical distance or emotional distance. And I may have wished for less physical distance. But yeah. it all made sense. It, it's so good. And the, uh, I mean, the first scene is so sexy. This is what Lane was referring to in the desk sex section in the summary. I died. I mean, so first of all, it's in the library or the study, which... Which, it, plus 10 to start with. Which is as. And then there's this, like, dirty talk element. Mm -hmm. Basically, he's like, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to you. Mm -hmm. So if we were to be physically intimate, this is how it would go down. Get mm -hmm. the, get the pun. And, mm -hmm. um, then he, he follows through. He's not all talk and no action. He's all talk and all action. And it's a new experience for her. Yeah. To say the least. And I mean, here's the thing too, is she was so young when she got married and they were only married for like a year or two. Like two, yeah. So it makes sense that she wouldn't have. And he, her husband was young and inexperienced. Yes. And Michael is a world famous rake. World famous, world famous. I mean it. Yeah. India and England. India and England. And yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, she's got to assert that he doesn't have all the power in the bedroom. Uh-huh. Which is also very good. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. 
I mean, it's it's this is hot. This is this is objectively hot. It's also like usually Julia Quinn does not go into details. I was gonna say it's subjectively for Julia Quinn. It's like over the top hot. This is like a tame to medium scene for authors that are known for going all out. Yeah. So buckle up. <laughs> right. It's. I mean, it's it's extremely hot. It's they're extremely lengthy and and yes and lengthy as well. <laughs> Their desperation for one another is so palpable and sometimes it's just heartbreaking because you're like I know why you're resisting and I can't tell you not to but also just do it. Yeah, but she writes this is also I think the best Julia Quinn's sexual tension I've ever read. Yeah, I agree. like the way they stare at each other's mouths or yes. the way like conversations turn dark and emotional because mm -hmm. they're both trying not to say oh my god just do me. Yeah, I'm oversimplifying it, but it's really sexy in it's addition really sexy. to being explicit. Um, and that's the thing. I don't, I, I think this book is a really good mix of heartbreaking, emotional angst uh, with a little bit of humor. Not a lot, but a little bit because you can't have a Julie Quinn without a little mm -hmm. bit of humor. It's still the Bridgertons. It's still the Bridgertons. And so much sex. Yep. So I recommend it. This, and this book is real, I mean, it's really, really, really fun. If you have read it after Romancing Mr. Bridgerton and To Sir Philip With Love, and then you finish up with When He Was Wicked, it's this, it's like this mini trilogy in the middle of the Bridgerton series that's the best. In my opinion, the best, the best three books. I don't think I could use the word fun because of the nature yeah. of the drama. But I agree with you that it's a really whole story yes. with the three of them combined. Yes. Uh, and then, and again, the Violet Bridgerton parts in all three of the books. Colin. Colin, of course, in all three of the books. But it gives you what's best about the Bridgertons, which is you have the family relationships, but it also gives you what's best about Julia Quinn. Which is Colin Bridgerton. <laughs> Look, I didn't say it. I didn't say that, Lane. I'm speaking Th Those for words you. came out of your mouth. I'm speaking for you. Colin is in all three of these books. <laughs> so you can't, you know, they're not, it's good. <laughs> As always, thank you so much for listening. Megan Collins <laughs> sitting in a tree. Okay, oh, stop recording now. <laughs>